Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampman. And my guest this evening is a good brother that I went to high school with. We go all the way back to 1996. He's uh, in the aviation field currently and also a pilot. Mr. Langston Majette, thank you for joining me. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. You know, it's funny. I see your sister every now and then or almost every time I go uh, grocery shopping. And she always says to me, or well, not always, but she said to me, when are you going to be on Jane's uh, podcast? I said, you know what? I've been following him, watching him, making his moves. I need to get on there. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> happy to see you uh, thrive. Happy to see this thing grow. And, you know, you got a long way to go. It's, it's going to get bigger and bigger. So I'm, I'm proud of you and what you're doing with the podcast. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm surprised that she even know who you are. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I knew who she was through you, but I never knew her in high school. So I would see her and I'd be like, yo, that's James' sister. So I finally talked to her, told her who I was, how you and I went back and all that stuff. And when I go there with my daughter, we go there, we go to Giant way too many times. But that's a whole nother story. But when I go there, <laughs> my daughter sees her and she looks at me like, you going to speak to your friend? Did y'all go to, y'all went to school together, right? So it's just so funny how small the community is sometimes. Well, if it make you feel better, man, I didn't know her in high school either. <laughs> wow, you just dropped the bomb on me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might, man, I'll hold, I'll hold like four years in school, man. I think I saw that girl at school. Now, the first, you know, our freshman, freshman year, I used to see her a lot. But, man, once we got to like the sophomore year, man, I don't think I saw that. I don't think I saw her in school, but maybe like two or three times, the whole rest of the suitland day. That's funny. <laughs> but, yeah, so... I know you wanted to, I know you a transplant from New York. You actually one of the few New Yorkers I like. <laughs> oh, here you go. Here you go. <laughs> How did you end up relocating here? So, you know, it's it's a long story and a short story. The, the short the short version is my dad got a job transfer. He was a letter carrier with the with the postal service and he transferred down here to Maryland. But the long story is we had a church trip a church bus trip down to Baltimore when I was young. Uh, my mom was pregnant with my younger brother. So I was like seven, maybe eight years old at the time. And we took a bus trip out of New York all the way down to Baltimore. Our pastor was a guest preacher. So it was me, my dad, and my older brother, we were on a bus. And we got down like out of the New York area. We got down into Maryland. We weren't in Baltimore at the time. But um, I was looking out the bus window and I was like, wow, this is so nice down here. It looks so nice down here. Because, you know, growing up in New York, I'm used to, you know, bricks and concrete. But it was a bunch of trees, open areas, like single family houses. And that was just a different environment. And my reaction to that had a huge impression on my dad. So he felt the need to change our environment for our upbringing. So that kind of sparked his whole idea of getting a job transfer out of New York to move to Maryland. So he got the transfer in 93. He uh, started delivering in the uh, Landover Hills, um, you know, New Carrollton area. And he got situated, bought the house. And the day after I graduated eighth grade in 1994, 
like literally the next day, me and my mom, we were on a Peter Pan bus moving to Maryland. We had the moving truck packed up the days before. And that last night in Brooklyn, we literally slept on the floor because we had no furniture because everything had already been moved to Maryland. So, so that's how that happened. It, apparently it was my, um, my awe of a different environment that inspired my dad to say, Hey, we need a new upbringing for our kids. So he came down here, secured the house over in Capitol Heights where they still live now. And, you know, that's, that's all she wrote. We were out of there. So was you nervous about coming here? I was, but it was at a good break point where even if I stayed in New York, it was time for a new beginning anyway. Um, I was leaving all my friends from junior high school. Uh, we were all going to different, um, you know, high schools. So it was going to be a new beginning anyway. So it kind of worked out well. Um, I don't know if nervous was the word. I just didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what suburban life was like. I, it was just a total different way of life once we got out of the city and uh, moved down here to Maryland. So, what, I mean, what was it like in New York? Because I've never lived there. So what was it like in New York? It was... So, so my perspective was different back then. Mind you, I lived there from, from when I was born until I, I was 13 years old when we moved down to Maryland. So life was normal up there for us. It was just... So, so some of the values and some of the things we did as a kid, they were the same as what I would expect down here. I had my friends on the block. Uh, we, you know, played outside and that sort of thing. But it was just a different time. That was, you know, 80s and 90s, where it would, even though we were in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, it was okay to go out on the block and just play outside. We didn't have to worry about too much because my dad was known in the neighborhood. Within our couple block radius, we were good. But once you leave that couple block radius in Brooklyn, you can still be in the same neighborhood, but it's just a different set of people and different set of issues. It was it was very uh, localized to almost a block by block area where you could have one block of friends. And it wasn't like gangs or anything like that. It was just the kids we grew up with. Okay. It was just different than folks from two blocks over. And if you wander two blocks over by yourself, you might be in trouble. And that's the same thing we, we see down here. But it's um, it's just like up there is on a micro micro scale, mm. and everything was just so fast paced. You had people who grew up in Brooklyn that never left Brooklyn. Uh, like the only the only time we left Brooklyn was when we were you know doing something as a family, and with that you you kind of get this territorial type vibe from just the way you were brought up up there. Mm. Now you mentioned um, you mentioned your dad, and, and it was great that you actually grew up in a home with your mom and your dad. So, how did that influence your perspective on family life? You know, I, I think it it provided me an example or footsteps to follow. It was never a situation where we had an actual conversation where my dad had to say, "Hey." this is how you're supposed to raise a family. It was just, he did what he was supposed to do or he did what he needed to do to make sure his family was taken care of. So 
that's what we knew because that's what we saw growing up. And when you see someone that you look up to as you're growing up, you have no choice but to emulate what, what they did because as kids, we're impressionable. So when that you know role model is there, when that example is set and you see that things are going right, or at least from your perception as a kid, things are going as they're supposed to be, you have no choice but to emulate that behavior. And, you know, it's funny you mention that because my dad just retired earlier this summer or this past summer, rather. And in part of my speech to him, I said, you never had to tell us what to do in life because you lived it and you showed it and you gave us that example and you gave us, you know, that that footstep to follow in just by us seeing what you did. Uh, I think that's great, man, because, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, fortunately, a lot of kids, they don't grow up with that strong father figure in the house. So you definitely was blessed to have that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where you don't really appreciate it until you get older. It's like you have to have a certain level of maturity to appreciate it, because honestly, as a kid, we didn't know any different. So we just assumed that that's just how it was for everybody. But until you grow and mature and meet new people and learn about other experiences, you can look back and, and count your blessings. Yeah. Now you, you know, you've been married for, um, you've been married at least 10 years now, correct? Oh man, you're going to put me on the spot. Let me count. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're nah, going to say 10. We're going to say 10. Yeah, it's over 10. This, um, <laughs> Next August will make twelve or thirteen. Because the reason I asked, um, when you met your wife, she had boys, and you be, and you became a stepfather. And I had a stepfather too. Um, my stepfather, he was a great man, um, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really get to talk much. Um, he he just did what he was supposed to do, but we didn't. We didn't really establish a relationship until I got older. Like he was there, he was present, and he took care of me. But we didn't really get a chance to communicate. Now, and it's funny when you say as you get older, and it's like now that I'm older, I realize that our communication could have been better. But he was definitely a provider, and he did well with that. So I wanted you to talk about like your role because I seen I was seeing you, you know, the the role you took. With, with your um, with your with your stepson, and I wanted you to talk about like how do you know you stepping in and, and taking that role on. Man, being a stepfather is the hardest job in the world, and so it it took me a while to realize how difficult it was and how much it involved. Because you can, when the kids were when I met my wife, the kids were young; they were. Um, six and three they were six and three so at that age it was easy to get along they they loved me they loved the energy that I bought and I fulfilled a void that they were missing from their biological dads but at that time at that age for them you know if I was there it was cool they said you know we're not worried about nothing because Langston is here and we're gonna have a good time he loves our mom he loves us. We have fun together. We do things that, you know, we've always wanted to do. But as kids age and mature, 
especially, and, and I don't know if it's kids in general, but my experience with the boys, they were always missing that presence from their biological fathers. So there were times I can distinctly remember each of them, they have different dads, each of them saying, I wish my dad would come pick me up. Why, why, how come his dad picks him up, but my dad doesn't pick me up? And there's nothing that I, as a stepfather, could do to change or erase that hurt that they felt. And the struggle as a stepdad is thinking, hey, I'm here, but not understanding where they're coming from. And as they grow, you know, people become their, their own individual person. So just for reference, I met them when, I, when they were six and three. They are 23 and 18 now. They're young men. And as you grow, you become a different person. Like I wasn't the same happy-go-lucky person at 23 that I was at age six. So it's, it's a delicate balance to always be there for them, but give them their space to let them feel how they want to feel with regards to what they may have going on in their personal lives. And it's one of those things where I just rest assured that as they continue to mature, they can look back and see who was there for them, who supported them, who was there to give them what they needed. They may have some resentment uh, to their biological dads, but they'll, they're going to have to outgrow that. And they'll be able, I, I just rest assured that they'll be able to look back and say, hey, Langston was always there for us. He always treated our mom the way she should have been treated. And I just try to provide that as an example, the way my dad did to me. It's tough. Sometimes, you know, they have attitudes. And it's not just because of a step-parent, step-son relationship. I think that's just kids in general. I can remember times when I was uh, a late teenager, 17, 18, 19, and I would just be mad for no reason. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was just me being a teenager. So sometimes I have to realize that, hey, kids go through things too, but don't stop supporting them and don't take it personal. You still have a job to do as a parent to support them and nurture their growth to put them in a position for success. Man, that, that's that's deep, man. Like like I said, I, I see, you know, I definitely commend the work you put in because, you know, I, I came I came along a little later. Like, we reconnected, like, in around about 2000. In those late 2000s, we kind of reconnected, and I mm-hmm. could just tell how much you loved them and how much you invested in them. So, man, they were truly blessed to have you step in and do that. You know, it, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, the communication thing that you mentioned with you and your stepdad, sometimes I feel like I, I fail in communicating with them to let them know how much they mean to me. So I have a daughter and she's eight and she was my first biological child. So sometimes I feel like I fail in communicating to the boys how much they mean to me. Um, And that delicate balance is I can't treat uh, a baby girl the same way that I can treat a teenage slash almost grown ass man. Pardon yeah. my friends. <laughs> no, you good. You good. <laughs> so, so, so it's a line you have to tiptoe. So my line with them is, hey, you need help. I'm here. I'm always here to support you. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to worry about what you're doing. And I'm invested. But it's going to come off different for 
the sake of her being so young and her being a girl and you guys being, you know, older boys transitioning into young men. They're not even boys anymore. They're young men now. So yeah. the, the type of love that you give to a boy, a young man of that age is different than you give to a young girl. And it's just one of those things where I have to rest assured that I'm not doing anything wrong by treating her differently. Even if, you know, the situations were different, she would need to be treated even if, if it were opposite. They would need to be treated differently just because of that age disparity. Oh, yeah, definitely. That that plays a huge part. Just the age and even even girls and boys. Like, I, I don't, I've never had a son, but I, I do feel like I would be a little different with a son because, you, you know, you want your boy to be tough and all that other stuff that comes with being a boy with a girl. But I seen your daughter. She tough, boy. I was just about to say, and, and you know, she she ain't got no choice, so she gets the uh, the son treatment from me too. <laughs> I see her as if uh, she was my son. So she plays soccer, and sometimes I have to tell myself, "Hey, sit down and be quiet," because she's out there playing, and she so she's eight, and she plays in the ten U league because she's you know a little bit advanced and she she can hold her own. But sometimes, you know, she gets put on her behind. And she'll fall on the grass, fall on the turf, and look up like she's looking for sympathy. And me, being a dad, I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, get up! Get up and play! <laughs> I know they probably think, oh, Langston, Naomi's dad is crazy. I feel sorry for her. But she, she, man, I tell you what, man, I love, I sit back, you know, I have a daughter. You know, our daughter's the exact same age, but, uh -huh. man, I love y'all relationship, man. I, I sit back and I just like, man, I love seeing the videos, the the YouTube shows, everything, man. <laughs> I just love it because me and Nia's relationship is a little different. Um, Nia's, where, where your daughter is, is, is in the sports and tough, my Nia, man, she, she's in the dance and uh, singing. She's, she's the art type. Like, she played. She played soccer, bro. Let me tell you, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't nothing but love that sustained her soccer matches, man. I tell you, that was. Love. <laughs> I went out there, me and, me and my wife. We went, you know, me and the teacher went to the game, and me just like running around in circles. Oh and, lord! <laughs> and then I think she cried a little bit. And I was like, oh my god! I was like, I don't think my baby's gonna be an athlete. You know what's so funny about, you know, with your kid being an athlete. So I played baseball and I swam in high school, but I wasn't, I was never uh, a super talented athlete, like from childhood. When I started um, high school baseball, that was my first time playing an organized sport. So it wasn't like I came into it, you know, with any, um, with any confidence. It was just something to do. And um, I think they say it skips a generation. Well, it definitely skipped me because my dad, <laughs> he was really good at basketball. And, you know, she's just a natural athlete. And she's at that age where I just have to, well, not just have to, but I've been working to kind of focus it and channel it so she can continue to excel. So right now, soccer and basketball are her, her things. And they, they both play on one another because they keep her in shape you know, off season for one is the on season for the other. So, you know, we, we just there to support and 
we're weekend um, athletic parents. Every Saturday, it's either soccer or um, or basketball. Yeah, man, you are you doing it. You you both doing an excellent job, man. Like I said, man, you know, just seeing her and, and seeing the happiness you two got, man. I tell you, I, I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> So it takes a to, lot of work. As you know, it takes a lot of work. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to transition to um, your career and you in the aviation field. Was that what you always started out? Was that the field you you set out to be to go into? Um, so I got into aviation, like really started opening my eyes to aviation back at, at Suitland High School. So little was it known, we had an aviation club at Suitland High School for like our first couple of years there. We did? <laughs> See what I'm saying? <laughs> See what I'm saying? <laughs> so, they, and I remember when I found out about it, I was, um, I was in ninth grade and they were doing announcements and they made announcements for aviation club. If you want to join the aviation club, stay after school, go to this room, yada, yada, yada. So it was one of the science teachers he was never one of our science teachers because during those times he was teach. I can't remember what class he was teaching, but it was like for 11th graders and 12th graders. But he was a private pilot and he had a plane that he used to fly and all of that stuff. But there was a program in our area called Opportunity Skyway. And Opportunity Skyway was a nonprofit organization and their goal was to expose youth in our area to general aviation, meaning you know, not airliners and commercial pilots, but just the small planes that, that the people who do it for fun. So we went to the aviation club meeting. We had field trips. Uh, we went flying and little small airplanes. And we used to fly to different events. And that's how I got hooked on it. So um, ever since then, I said, hey, I want to be a pilot. So when it came time, you know, 11th grade or whatever, when we started applying for colleges and taking SATs, I, I applied to all of the aviation schools. I got accepted to all of them, but they all cost way too much. So mind you, I had an older brother who graduated in Suitland in 96. We graduated in 98. He graduated in 96. He was going to University of Maryland. So I applied to University of Maryland as well as a backup plan. So... His tuition was a lot cheaper. First off, aviation curriculum curricula are way more expensive than regular academic degrees just because flying an airplane is not cheap. So my parents saw my expected tuition bill, even after financial aid packages, they saw my expected tuition bill versus his. Mind you, he was in-state. He was a commuter student, so no room and board. And they said, oh, no, that's too expensive. You're going to University of Maryland. <laughs> so, so that's what I ended up doing. So I went to University of Maryland and I had no, so just going to University of Maryland was the backup plan. I didn't know what they offered. I didn't know what I wanted to major in there. So I got in there and naturally I'm like, I said, okay, my brother's um, majoring in engineering. I'll do the same thing. Man, I saw the math and physics <laughs> requirements for engineering. I said, this ain't for me. I said, this, I can't do this. I, I was just not that good at those difficult subjects, like differential equations. Really? No. So um, I switched my major like three or four, like four times. James, I switched from 
um, aeronautical engineering. Um, no, not aeronautical. It was aerospace engineering, mechanical engineering, um, meteorology. And then I found geography. And that's what I ended up majoring. I majored in geography, specializing in geographic information systems and computer cartography. Now that has absolutely nothing to do with aviation, but I've, <laughs> o- but I've always loved earth science. So, and, and let, me, let me take a step back. When I was switching majors, I was also in ROTC because I said to myself, okay, I couldn't go to an aviation school. I'm going to join Air Force ROTC. I'm going to go into the Air Force, use them for pilot training, and then that's how I'll become a pilot. Hmm. So I did, I did ROTC at University of Maryland for like a good year and a half just before it was time to commit. And honestly, I was there with people who were really dedicated about serving their country. That wasn't me. I was using it as a way to a means, a means to an end. I was just using it to become a pilot, but I was there with people who were really all about serving their country and willing to die for their country. I'm like, uh, bro, this ain't me. And also, you know, I was obviously a minority, but I was a super minority in that program. And I just felt like I was just trying to fit in with people who weren't my people, people who didn't share anything in common with me. I was just trying to be someone other than myself for the sake of fitting in. And I said, you know what, this is not for me. So at that time, I switched majors. And let me back up one more time. And I, it, college wasn't easy for me going through those phases, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. My GPA dropped down to a 1.9. I heard, I listened to your interview with Earl uh, a few days ago, and he talked about how he lost academic scholarships for messing up. I was right, I, I knew exactly where he was coming from because I was right there with him. I lived that same experience too. But once I found something that I like to do, you know, geography, cartography, making maps, I started to excel. I started getting the 3.3s, the 3.5s, and in came the scholarships from the state. And I said to myself, damn, if I you know, knew what I wanted to do coming in here, this could have been the norm since day one. I went through a lot of you know, big learning about myself before I got to the path of success. So I got the degree, graduated and all that stuff, and I, I started working in the private sector uh, doing flood rate insurance maps for uh, FEMA with a private company. But then I uh, I found out about the job with the FAA making the same aeronautical charts that I used as a private pilot. And so also, let me let me back up a second. While I was in college, that's when I began my flight training as well to earn my private pilot certificate. So I was in college. I was working part-time at, at College Park Airport where I still work. I'm there over 20 years now, but I was doing stuff like washing and waxing people's airplanes to fund my flight instruction. And the whole time, my parents were supporting everything that I wanted to do. So I got my pilot's license while I was still in college, and I was okay with that being a personal interest slash hobby opposed to it being my career. But I lucked up by getting this job with the FAA, making the same aeronautical charts that I use for navigation that I used when I was flying, actually flying the plane. So it kind of worked out well to, to start a career at such a young age doing what I went to school for, making maps, 
and serving the purpose for what I love, which was piloting airplanes. Man, that's great. That's, you you had a great journey, man. And this and I, and like I said, I follow you, and I'm like, man, like it just it seemed like I know it didn't happen overnight, but it was just like I just watched your career progress, man. And it's Yo, I, I got great. lucky. I got lucky. <laughs> so I, I and it's all about being in the right place at the right time. And to me, that's luck. There was nothing that I did specifically to get the opportunities that were presented to me. I was just in the right place at the right time. And I, I couldn't be any more thankful for it. You know, it was so funny. When I was fresh out of college, the big thing was, oh, what's, what's the salary? What's the salary starting out? I had big dreams that were, um, you know, way off base when I was in college. I said to myself, when I graduate, I'm going to buy myself a Corvette and I'm going to buy myself an airplane. When I started getting my first paychecks, it was a humbling reality of, of how much, you know, I was getting paid versus how much, you know, I needed for what I wanted in life. But, um, you know, things worked out. And I actually, when I took my job with the FAA, I took a, a slight, you know, reduction in pay to take that position. But I was thankful I, I had the foresight to see the long term of, you know, where I was going to be in life as, because, you know, you get in a, a government position, you can see what your, uh, what your growth is going to be. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, all right, it'll be a step backwards for the short term, but for the long term, this is an investment in the future for uh, potential. So it worked out well. And, you know, it's, it's funny, I'm blessed to be where I am now, but there were times where I wasn't even happy with my job at the FAA. And you can tell my wife, there were times where I applied to become a police officer and I was about to leave the job to become an air traffic controller. And that was mm. something that was a second best. Okay, you, you, you're you not going to be an airline pilot. Air, air traffic controller is a, a dope career to have, too. And I went through, applied, actually got the offer. And she and I went house shopping in Kansas City, Kansas. That's how close we were to making that move for that, for that career change for me. We, wow. flew, out, we flew out to Kansas. Um, we shopped for houses and we had like a list of four houses that we were ready to, um, to make a move on amongst the four, because that's how serious I was about the job. I mean, I had the offer in hand, but it just made more sense to steady the course that I already been building for myself rather than moving literally halfway across the country to try to start over again. Wow. You know what? I never knew that. Yeah. And you know, you know, what's so funny, it's it's hard to become an air traffic controller. And um, this was one of those rare opportunities where they were hiring people. Usually they hire air traffic controllers from folks who have prior military experience, or they're one of 13 schools in the United States that have a curriculum where once you graduate, you're kind of put in the pipeline because you have the academic background you learned in college. To, to be prepped to enter the workforce as an air traffic controller trainee. But they opened it up because there was a, a, a shortage of controllers because a lot of folks were reaching the mandatory retirement age. So they, need, they needed to fill a whole bunch of slots. So I was able to go take the test, pass the test, and get, a, get, a, um, get an offer. But it just wouldn't have been the right move for, for me and my family at the time. 
Man. And I don't regret it one bit because I work with air traffic. I'm the only one in my office that's not an air traffic controller. Whoa. Yeah. And it, and it's just funny, like, now I see you, man, like, you know, I see you do this. You're doing, like, speeches and you flying drones and all types of stuff, man. I just feel like, man, he, he looks really, he looks really happy at where he's at. And that, that's a blessing, man. Like, I like I love seeing my friends, like, excelling. They happy. They got great families. Like, it's truly a blessing, man. And I, I tell you all the time, man, I'm happy for you because I love seeing it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, you know, for me to be able to to pivot in my career from, you know, doing cartography to entering the, the world of, you know, drones or unmanned aircraft systems, it's just a blessing because this is, you know, innovation that's right here at our doorstep. And for me to to be a part of it from the ground up, you know, it's, it's not an opportunity that everyone has the, the uh, chance to take advantage of. Definitely. So you've done, man, you've done all these things. You've had the family. Excuse me, you got the family. You've had a great career. When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a um, as a go-getter. I, I have this thing where regardless of, you know, how people may view success, uh, I, I don't let that stop me from achieving the next level. If if I would have wrote my story when I was a kid, I would have defined success as where I was nine, eight, nine years ago. But here I am. It's like a never-ending chase for the next level, for the next best opportunity. As long as I know there's more room to grow, I want to take advantage of that potential. I want to be remembered as a go-getter and also one that never forgot where he came from. So I mentioned that that program, Opportunity Skyway, that literally gave me my start in aviation. I want to be in a position to give someone else that inspiration or to be that determining factor or that, that changing point in someone else's life to, to look up and say, wow, this guy is doing it because I feel like I haven't achieved, you know, ultimate success yet, but I want some, I want to be able to inspire someone else to, to achieve, you know, greatness to every opportunity that's presented to them. Wow. Uh, let me say again, man. And, and I, 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 maybe I sound like a broken record, but I don't care, man. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. I'm so proud of you. Like everything you're doing, the family man you've grown into, the husband, the father, the career man. Look, I I truly am happy to see where you at, man. It's a truly Thank a blessing to see it. Thank you. And you know, so one thing I, I sit back and think about is my circle. My circle is full of people who are successful people in my eyes as well. We're all doing different things, but we all share the same values. We we're all married. We love our wives. We are great fathers to our kids. And to me, that means a lot. I think that's, that speaks a lot, not only for myself, but for the people who I keep in my circle. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody who is not taking care of their family. I don't know anybody who's not actively involved in their child's lives. And I think 
we we thrive on each other's energy to to keep inspiring each other to to do better and to be better. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm gonna tell you one thing. I'm kind of mad at, and I'm never gonna show near this. So uh-oh, don't uh-oh. you don't you ever show this. She <laughs> she been begging me, man, begging me to take her camping, and I'm like, oh my god, where did this girl get this idea of camping? <laughs> you need to show her the YouTube, show her our YouTube channel. Look, dude, I'm never gonna show her that. Much as I love you, bro, I'm never gonna show her that. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, because she just started mentioning it, she was like, "Hey, can we can we go camping?" And I'm like, "Who who put this idea in here camping?" And then she was like, "She said." Then she really wanted that, and she said, "Well, I mean, it's a way for me to learn more about nature." Oh, see? My, and I'm thinking to myself, shit, she right. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. What <laughs> I'm trying to be cool to say no. And then he come, so I tell the, I tell the teacher about it. She says, well, she said, well, you know, if you were smart, you would ask Langston to go, and that way he could help you. I said, yeah, but I still don't want to go. <laughs> 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 like, I'm not trying to be out no woods, man. <laughs> But I, but I don't know. We go. We go. I, I I think eventually, man. I'm gonna have to crack because she gonna yeah, keep it, asking it's, me. It's it's not bad, but you definitely want to get some tips from someone who's done it a few times because there's nothing worse than being out there at the campsite and not having something that you need or something you didn't even think you you might need. Man, look, I may I may try to take her to a nice hotel and say, "Hey, can you want this?" <laughs> We're going, we do we doing indoor, we doing indoor camping here. <laughs> Look, so, so here's the thing. It's funny you mentioned indoor camping. A lot of people start just in their backyard. I don't have a yard though. Well, I, I don't either. So yeah, so I feel you. <laughs> I got a deck. <laughs> but I don't feel like no fox running up on us, man. <laughs> Yo, so funny story. The last time we went camping, we were out at um Assateague Island State Park, um, just south of Ocean City. And Assateague Island, they have wild horses. So they have warning signs about the wild horses and all this stuff. Don't come near, don't go, go, I'm sorry, don't get close to them because they can attack if they feel threatened, yada yada yada. So, and Terrence was out there too. It was me, my daughter, Terrence, and his whole family. So we're out there, we're cooking dinner on the on the campfire, and here come the horses. So we're like, all right, cool, look at that, kids, here come the horses. Dog, the horses came up, the horses were on the mission. We were just looking at nature, right? The horses were like, oh, we got some suckers out here. They got food out. <laughs> and horses are big, right? So they just dared us to stop them. They walked up to our campsite, they started snatching our food off the table, and there was nothing we could do. <laughs> but here's what's so funny. There were people at, at campsites near us. They saw us under attack by the wild. It was three horses. They saw us getting attacked by the horses, and they just stopped and watched us. They just watched the whole thing unfold. Now, there was nothing they could do to help us. I understand that. But they didn't take any precautions for themselves. So once the horses were done with us, they went right to their campsite, and got them too. <laughs> I 
was like, y'all dumb. Y'all saw us get made an example by nature. Y'all didn't so, say Where is this at again? So I know where not to go. Ah. <laughs> Ask the Teague Island. <laughs> but look, man, I want to thank you again for doing this, man. I truly appreciate it, man. Thank you for uh, hey, thank making you for the having time me. It was, it's a pleasure. I was tired. I, so I had PTA. I'm the vice president of my daughter's PTA. So we had a PTA meeting tonight. And after I got done, I was like, I'm finally home. And I was tired. I was like, oh, shoot, got to do the interview tonight. I said, yeah. I'm staying up late tonight, but it's all good. I, I'm, gl- I'm grateful for this opportunity to, to be able to have this conversation with you. Hey, man, I'm, I'm humbled, and I'm thankful for you doing it. And plus, man, before I hang up, man, thank you for, for just being a great friend of me over the years, man. Thank you for all the love and support you gave to me, my family, man. I, don't, I, I, hope I, say, I hope I say it enough, but I'm truly grateful for the great friendship we have, man. Thank you. Oh, man, I appreciate that. And, I, and the energy is the same going back to you. You always show up. You're there for my birthday. You're there for Naomi's birthdays with your daughter and your wife and, you know, good people. And I'm I'm happy to see, you know, the successes that you guys are experiencing now. I don't know if you, you know, spilled any news, but I'm just happy to see good things happen to good people. Definitely, man. Well, thank you again. And um, we're going to end it on that note. And um, I appreciate everything you do. And um, did you, I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to do social media. You want people to follow you or you kind of, uh yeah, that's fine. Um on Instagram, Metro underscore man eighty. Um let's see, on Twitter, Metro underscore man. And oh, also while I got you, quick plug, you don't even notice yet, but I started a new business. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm big on home improvement, doing the, the work myself in my house and I post pictures on social media and I get a lot of positive response and people requesting like, Hey, do you do this? Can you do this? So I started a company. It's called jet set backsplash. And I literally just got all of my official paperwork done within like the past week and a half. So website is not up. I'm working on the website, but I already have clients lined up. But what I do is I do consulting design and installation of kitchen backsplashes. Wow, congratulations, man. Thanks. So I, I just been on the grind trying to get everything legit before I really start promoting it. So I haven't even posted about it. I haven't shared any details with anyone aside from, you know, my wife. But um she's supportive of it and I just opened up, you know, my business bank account the other day. So I'm getting all of the ducks in a row so I can really start promoting this service. You know, just installing backsplashes in, in kitchens. It's, it's, you know, rewarding work for me. It makes a big difference in, you know, the, the kitchen space. And there's something that, you know, I apparently have a gift at doing. So why not, you know, take advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, I saw that backsplash you did. I, it looked great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You, you definitely going to have success with that, man. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I'm. I'm gonna definitely. We want. We'll. We'll talk again, man. Cause um, you know, we ever want to come back, man. Do some promotion, man. Look, you, I, I'm. I'm. I'll make sure to make space for you. <laughs> I appreciate that, 100. percent All right. Well, thank you all for listening to the episode, and you all have a great day. <laughs>